what we're intending to do is to, to bring to everybody's recognition that Rick and others that train our children up in the Word. Um, today, Rick is going to be speaking about Gideon um, and reinforcing to the children that every single person is important to God and that God uses the weak things in the world to put to shame those things that are strong. So that's what the children are going to be hearing about. You'll be hearing something a little different here, but um, we just want to lift them up and pray for the children and for Rick. So, Father God, we do come to you. We recognize our neediness, and we lift up our brother Rick. Father, I pray that the Holy Spirit would fall fresh upon him. You have called him to this work. Father, he has stepped into this ministry of bringing the gospel, the word of the Lord Jesus Christ, into the hearts of children. And, Lord, we pray that you would richly bless the ministry and richly bless Rick. And, Father, for these beautiful children, we ask that you would keep them. Father, protect them. Better that we would um, have a stone hung around our necks and thrown into the lakes than that we would make these children to stumble. And so, Father, we lift them up. We ask for your protection, for your guidance, for your love, and that you, Lord Jesus, in the person of the Holy Spirit, would this morning speak to their hearts. Put that word deep down in there, Father so that they can stand in the day of trouble. And I thank you that you'll do that all because it brings glory to your son, the Lord Jesus, and it honors you. And I thank you that you will. Amen. You guys go enjoy yourselves. <clears throat> and you can, if you'd like, um, join me. Turn in your Bibles to the epistle of Paul to the Romans. Chapter 6, that's where I'll be speaking today, where God will be speaking today. I'm just uh, hopefully to be used of him. But Father, um, we do want to welcome you here. We thank you that you've come before us. Thank you that the promise that you've given us is that where two or three gather in your name, there you are. And so we thank you that you are here with us. Thank you, Holy Spirit of God, that you have come and indwelled the heart of your children so that we might gain understanding, that we might have knowledge so that we might even be conformed into the image of the first fruits, the beautiful name, that Lord Jesus Christ, who is our master. We thank you again, Father, for your mercy and for your grace, and we ask now that you would fill this place with your Shekinah glory, that as the word is spoken, Father, it would be spoken and able to cut right into the heart of the issues that we might be facing, whether it's an issue that we need to be challenged with and repent of, whether it's an issue that we need to be edified by or encouraged, we ask, Father God, that you would do the work that you have promised, that you have begun in our lives, and that you will complete until the day of Christ Jesus' return. We ask now, Father, that you would receive our worship as we read your word and as we listen to your voice. As we hear you, Father, grant to us grace and grant to us mercy to be obedient children, and that your name and the name of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, would be honored in this place. And I thank you that you will. Amen. So Romans chapter 6, my Sunday school class will maybe remember this. It was quite a while ago that we were in chapter 6. Um, but I'm going to read for you verses 11 to 14. Romans chapter 6, verses 11 to 14. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in its lusts, and do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. 
Thank you, Father, for your word. So this is the epistle of Paul to the Romans, just to give some context to what I've just read. Um, the church in Rome at the time that this epistle is being sent to them is a fledgling church. Um, they are in the city of Rome. Most of you would know, um, just from historical perspective, that Rome was the seat of the known world at this point. It's where Caesar's palace was at. Caesar was treated as a god by the Romans. It's where the imperial senate met. So there was high political activity there. But it was also, let no unseemly words, let no unseemly noises filter in. Because I know, Lord, I'm not strong enough to withstand that. If I listen to this, that, or the other. And it can be anything, guys. It can be music. It can be speech. It can be movies. It can be anything that comes into the ears. Father, I offer them to you today. Help me to hear what you hear. So when Jesus would speak to people and they would respond to him, he would hear what they were really saying. What is it you want? Son of David, he heard that. I don't know if you've ever been in a big crowd when he was walking through the towns with this mob following him and this guy standing off over in the side somewhere being hushed by the crowd, shut up, shut up, shut up, cries out to him and he hears that. What about the people in your lives? Is there somebody in your life that is crying out to Jesus in your presence? For you are his body. You're his ears. Father, I offer my hands today. I work at the Social Security office. It's a government office. What good can I do there? Much. Much. Women come in, their, their spouses have died. Men come in, their wives have died. Young people come in with their children. Death. Young people come in, involved in accidents, diagnosed with cancers, all kinds of things. I deal with a lot of people that are hurting, and they're desperate. Father, here are my hands. All I do is fix cars. All I do, Father, let me fix cars to the glory of your son. Let me fix cars for Valinda Scott, who can't fix her own car, but who needs it. And there are people in this church that did that. I live on a farm out in the middle of nowhere. What can I do? Offer your hands. She doesn't make a big deal out of it. Virginia goes to nursing homes and visits with people because she can that's using her hands and her feet. Father, I give you my feet. I want to go home today because I'm tired and I've had a hard, rough week at work and I'm going to plop down and I'm going to binge watch. Um, somebody give me one of those popular shows that everybody binges. <laughs> uh, there you go, whatever she just said. <laughs> so I'm going to binge watch this because you know what? I just need a day to chill. Just a day. Need some help. Father, these are your feet. 
That person needs help. I will go. Hey, man, class reunion. Haven't seen you guys in 20 years. Oh, it's good to see you. Had a lot of good times in high school. For some of us, it's been more than 20 years. Um, had a good time. Let's get together. Hey, let's have a reunion. All right, I'll meet you down at the bar. Well, you know, this could be an opportunity for me to witness. If that's the truth, then it's okay. If God uses you in that way, I'm not saying you can never go into a bar. That's not my point. But if you're going to go into a bar with people you hung out with and start slamming back beers and whiskeys and stuff and getting lit and talking about the old days and Mary Sue, who you all chased after, you just put your whole body on the altar of sin. Mouth, eyes, ears, feet, hands, the whole deal. But you could just not go. You could offer your feet. As much as you want to be with those people, as, as much as you want to connect, as much as you do want to maybe share the gospel with them. Offer your feet. Go where Jesus goes. Jesus went into some pretty bad places. He eats with tax collectors. Again, I'm not telling you don't go places. But don't go there and fall into sin. If your feet are dedicated to him when you go there, you'll be going there to present him while you're there. And that's what Paul is encouraging here. That's what Paul is commanding, is your members. And the key member to start all of that is the one you all know, your mind. Father, I give you my mind. I love you, Lord, but I don't love you enough to read this. I'm too busy. But I can read Cosmo. I can read all the magazines I get. I can read everything else, but I can't find time to read this. And this is the eternal, immortal, inerrant, inspired Word of God, which is profitable for your instruction that you might be men and women of holiness. This is all you need. It's all here. But if we can't find time to read it, so instead we fill our minds with other things. We put this in reverse. Father, I offer you my mind. How does he start this off? It's the mind. Likewise, you also, verse 11, reckon yourselves indeed to be dead to sin. What does that mean, reckon yourselves? Believe it. Think about it. Meditate on it. Dwell on it. Beat it into your mind. I am dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Sin, you have no control anymore. You were defeated at the cross. You do not be, you are not my master. I see your presence. I see you in my next door neighbor. I see you on my television. I see you in my home. I see you even sometimes in my mirror. But you are not my master. Not because I'm all of that, but because I am his. And I only have one master. So I reject that. That's warfare. 
That's what Paul is talking about here. Present yourselves entirely to God as being alive from the dead and your individual parts as weapons, as instruments for righteousness to God. You are his hands and his feet. You are the body of Christ. You are a bright shining light on a hill. And when you present yourselves as instruments for his righteousness, the Lord Jesus Christ is seen. And he will, if he is lifted up, draw men to himself. That's why Paul writes this. And then in verse 14, the basis for it. The basis. Notice the word he starts that verse off with, for. All of that doctrine for five and a half chapters and a verse and a half of imperatives and right back to the basis, right back to the doctrine. 14, for sin shall not have dominion over you. For you are not under law, but under grace. That's the spiritual truth that undergirds those two imperative statements. For sin shall not have dominion over you. For you are no longer under the law, but under grace. What Paul is communicating there is very important because it's missed by a lot of people. A lot of people hear that and you know what they think? I can live my life however I want because I'm under grace. Law doesn't apply to me anymore. Read chapters 1 through 5 if you want to see how good it is to be under law. Because that's where most of us live a lot of our lives. We don't reckon this truth that Paul is giving us is the only way that we are enabled to actually do the do's and the do-nots properly because we are no longer under law. In other words, we don't do it ourselves. What did the law do? The law presented God in His holiness and it gave the commandments to live a certain way. And the Jewish people through the entire Old Testament fell and fell and fell because they were trying to keep the law in themselves. They were trying to be righteous. God will accept me because I do the do's and don't do the don'ts, just like the rich young ruler. I followed all of that. Then do this one thing. There's one thing lacking. Give away all your stuff because that stuff is your God. Well, I can't do that trying to live in his own righteousness. This epistle to the Romans is, is so centered on that, that the Jews were pursuing God, but they were pursuing him wrongly, not by faith, but by works. That's what the law created. If I sin, I go give a turtle dove. If I have this, I go give a wave offering of grain. If I do this, I have to get two bulls. If I do that, I have to have a goat. If I do this, I have to do that. I have to do the other thing. And if I do all of that perfectly, God will find me acceptable. Or at least he'll give me a B and I'll slide in on the skin of my teeth. That's what the law has for you. So if you want to be under the law, be under the law. But read the rest of the epistle. Because if you err in one piece of the law, you've broken it all. Because God's standard is perfection. You're not under the law anymore. 
You're under grace. What does that mean? You're under grace. That doesn't mean God forgives you now so you don't have to worry about doing anything. What it means is God's grace, the same grace that saved you, will keep you. Sanctification is the outpouring of grace. It's the reign of grace in your life. Do you realize that grace reigns in your life? We think of grace all the time as just almost, I hate to say it, free stuff. I get stuff. God gives me, that's how we say it, isn't it? Mercy is not getting what we deserve and grace is getting what we don't deserve. Well, that's okay because that's one way to, to kind of gather it in your mind. But it's not enough because it's not just stuff that you get. It's God that you get. It's Christ Jesus, the person of the Holy Spirit, living in you in His power, in His supernatural, overcoming, resurrected, glorified, seated at the right hand of the Father, power that is working in you. That's why when you do things you're not supposed to do and you feel bad, that's the grace of God operating in you. That's the Holy Spirit of God trying to correct you, trying to discipline you. And He will, if you continue to live a rebellious life and you are His, take it. That's why some of you fall asleep. That's grace reigning in your life. We miss that. But that's the basis for the doing and the do not doing. We see it so expertly worded by Paul. I'm feeble. In chapter 7, turn your page and read. The things I want to do, I don't do. The things I don't want to do, those things I do. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this? I thank God for Christ Jesus. Therefore, now, there is no condemnation. You see, it all fits together. It all fits together with this passage. You're no longer under sin. You're no longer under law. You're under grace. You have the Savior living inside of you. His grace is immeasurable. Let me read this for you. This made my week. Oh, I didn't type it in. Sorry. I'm just going to read it right out of here. This is out of Ephesians. Pastor's been preaching out of Ephesians chapter 4. This is what leads up to it. It's kind of the same thing in Ephesians. It's three chapters of doctrine and then several chapters of glorious um, instruction. But in Ephesians chapter 1, I'm going to pick it up in verse um, 4. But God... Don't you love that? But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Yeah, I know that, Ron. I've heard that verse many times. And, oh, I love the ands, raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ. He raised us up with Christ and has seated us in the heavenlies with Christ that in the ages to come, verse 7, in the ages to come, for the rest of all eternity, He might show the exceeding riches of His grace in His kindness toward us in Christ. For the rest of your life, and your life is eternal, you are going to be the recipient of the grace of God. 
It wasn't just grace that saved you and then left you to go on your own. He didn't say, okay, you're saved, you're justified, my son paid the penalty, now here's a book, follow it. Do your best, at the end, you'll come before the throne, we'll do an assessment, we'll see how you did. That's not what happens. When he saves you, he brings you right into the castle, right into the throne room, seats you right there with Christ, and gives you all the power through Christ, through the person of the Holy Spirit, to conform you into the image of his Son on this earth. It is the power of the Lord Jesus Christ, the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, that is at work in you to do his good will, to glorify the Father. The Father has sent him that the Son might be lifted up and glorified. So that's the basis for how we are to live because you're not under the law anymore. You don't have to abide by the law in your own strength. Think of the epistle James writes, show me your faith by your works. Show me that you believe that you are desperately weak. Gideon, God uses the weak things of this world to put to shame the strong. He uses the foolish people, the foolish things, to crush the wisdom of this world. We don't like to think of ourselves that way, but we are weak, foolish people. But we have the Savior who has all the power, all the wisdom, for he has made unto us wisdom. He has made unto us sanctification. He is all in all, and he is in us. There will never be a time that you will not need Jesus, not even in glory. For in him we live and move and have our being. And all of that in three verses. So what does it mean? Does it even matter? Are you right now today allowing sin to reign in your mortal body? Are you in the battle? Or do you not even see that it's happening? Have you given a foothold in your life to sin? Well, I go to church. I read my Bible. I go to the prayer meeting. I do all that stuff. Are you daily presenting yourself as an instrument to his righteousness? You see, when Jesus said that you must die to yourself, you must die and pick up your cross, or you're not worthy to follow me, it's an ongoing activity. But if you try to do that in your own strength, the cross is very heavy. It's too heavy for you. But Jesus carried it. Would you offer on his altar your physical body and say, Lord, I can't carry the cross. It's too heavy. But I give myself to you. Use my body because you're strong enough to carry the burdens. Are you working in your own strength 
And if you are, there's ample truths just in these three verses. But when you see in the book of Hebrews that it says that you have a high priest that understands because he lived in a body just like you do. And he had a mortal flesh just like you do. And he was tempted in every single way that you've ever been tempted. But he never sinned. So he does understand what you're dealing with. He does understand how pleasing sin is. He never got to experience the pleasure, but he does understand because he is our great high priest. And when we fall, that same passage says that you can come boldly, boldly to the throne of grace, the throne of grace, and ask for help in your time of need. So that's what Paul is telling the Roman church. And I've been to these cities. I was raised in a huge city. But you don't have to go to Rome or Dallas or Houston or New York. All you have to do is live here. All you have to do is live in Max Bass like Gerald does and you'll see it. You'll be tempted. You go to the mall, there's a ladies underwear store right there. As you're walking down the mall, minding your own business, there's a ladies underwear store with the windows wide open. Father, I covenant with my eyes like Job not to look in that store. We don't think about it that way, but that affects us. Watch your television for 15 minutes. You're going to see a commercial about men's sexual stuff, women's sexual stuff, underwear, how to have sex freely so that you can go without consequence and 15 different products that you can buy. You think that doesn't affect you? You don't have to live in Rome. We live in Rome. God help us. God grant to us grace and the strength that as he works his divine will in our lives, we would be willing participants in that process as he is our sanctifier and our sanctification, that we would present ourselves to him in all of our brokenness and all of our weakness and receive grace upon grace so that his son might be glorified. Father, I want to thank you. This message has been... Um, affecting me for several weeks, um, probably should have been affecting me for several years, in fact, my whole life. Um, but Lord, it is a good word to us. It's a good word, Father, because it reminds us of the glorious gift of grace that we received in our justification. It reminds us of the glorious gifts of grace that we receive even now as you are sanctifying us and setting us apart as a unique people for your own glory. It reminds us, Father, of the grace that we will receive in our glorification when this body um, will pass away and we will be with you in heaven and see you as you are for we'll be made like you. And the very presence of sin will be removed because your presence casts out all darkness. We thank you for that, Father. And we thank you that we have the knowledge that forever, in all eternity, we will receive grace upon grace. We will know you more every day for the rest of eternity. We will enjoy you more every day for the rest of eternity 
because your grace, Father, is without limit. And we are under that grace. So I thank you for that, Father. I thank you for this church. I thank you for these people. And Father, if there are any here that are struggling with sin, I pray that they would um, turn themselves to you. Just acknowledge it and receive the cleansing that you promise in your word and that restoration. And then, Father, that they would present themselves and all of their members as instruments to righteousness as we live to you in Christ. It's in his mighty, holy, precious name I pray. Amen.